Doctor, you vanished. You're wrong. This is something far more serious. We're in grave danger. This is... Hold to open. Hold to open. Yes, and what do you do? It's a power for evil. And that screen is hypnotic. What a spoiled sport you are, Doctor. They like my memory window. There is nothing there at all. You must believe me. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, the entire television program, in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we're also in an ongoing quest to try and sync up our sound of drums at the beginning of the podcast. Um, I, I, I went deliberately out of sync on this one, so let's see if when we put the recording together, that actually puts it together and gives us some serious sounds of drums. Anyway, yes. Start putting in the show notes if we're doing dun-dun-dun-dun or dun-dun-dun. Yes. <laughs> how, many, how many dun-duns are in your favorite sound of drums? Please write in and let us know. Anyway, we are just a couple of guys, a couple of drums, on this weird random journey in our third season uh, of this weird random journey through... Oh, no, fourth the, season. Fourth, fourth season. season. This is well, season third, four. Third season of being random. Uh, oh yes yes true. okay yes so three seasons of randomness if you've not listened please dive in uh right at the start and see how bad we were back then um but yeah we uh we we're loving this journey and alternately hating this journey and uh pete why don't you give us the rundown on where we've been in this journey alternately hating this journey wow i think we're always learning something though so hating with an h-a-y Yes, Professor Hater of our <laughs> least, our most favorite and least favorite rating. But folks, previously on Pull to Open, we were three episodes ago in New Who. We did that um, aspiringly epic, shall we say, two-parter yes. of the Zygons where they invaded and then inverted in the Zygon invasion and inversion. Um, then we were rocketed back in time to the original Russell T. Davies era to uh, what was rightfully an epic season ender for series three. We did all three Utopia, The Sound of Drums, and The Last of the Time Lords as one story. You betcha. Uh, And then we were rocked back in time again to the early days of Who. Uh, This was the season three of the program, and it was The Gunfighters, a shall we say notorious infamous yeah. uh, episode of that era and we got through it we got we through did. it unscathed not a bullet we got grazed <laughs> a little bit but we weren't we were not mortally wounded well, I'm, I'm just realizing that i should have been swigging whiskey throughout that podcast just <laughs> just as an extra visual uh easter egg for the youtube and spotify fans given how those early ones went when we were doing it late at night and there was some swigging going on i i'm not sure if i can endorse that plan but yes that would have <laughs> been yes. apt, certainly we we did the gunfighters without anesthetic hmm. but that brought us to our current podcast, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. We actually rewound just we one did. episode, one story. One story. A randomizer decided to show us exactly how Steven and Dodo got those outfits, I guess, because what we're doing today is season three, serial six, The Celestial Toy Maker. 
Woohoo! And wow, what a time to cover the Celestial Toymaker. When the Celestial right. Toymaker is all but set to return, it's almost certainly what Neil Patrick Harris is playing. We should say maybe RTD is messing with us. It's not been officially confirmed that that's the character. But yeah, yeah I we- like I like what he's doing there, and that he's just ignoring it. Like, go yeah. ahead and speculate, guys. He's he he has a lot to say about what he's doing, and yet he's not talking about that which i think i think your first instincts are correct it's probably like probably it but yes. who knows who knows well, given, given that he's in know. a toy maker you know situation given how much in this story and attendant media the toy maker has messed around with the doctor's very being i think mm. it is uh, a kind of an open secret for a reason that the celestial yeah. toy maker is responsible for the regeneration from 13 to 14 um, or responsible for the outcome of it, the responsible for the doctor's clothes regenerating, all that good stuff. Anyway, we will get to that before before we dive in to our summary. We like to get into a little something we like to call the feedback loop, where we have a conversation with you, our audience. Yes, and that conversation can be taken over by you folks if you decide to perhaps leave a review in mm. one of the places you can leave a review, which is usually the Apple Podcasts app. It's probably the best place to leave a review. Uh, I don't think they even limit your word count there. So be as verbose as you want or go ahead and be as not verbose as you want. Be as, be, do some brevity there and just go ahead and leave perhaps an emoji title of That's an episode, right. which is something we really like to do. But either way, we're going to love to read out your review on the podcast be uh, as emoji really as you want to be show. if if we read out your <laughs> review in emoji form then we will try and interpret which doctor who story that is several people have stumped us in the past you could do it too so this isn't don't just think of this as doing a nice thing for the show and leaving us a review think of it as a sadistic thing where you yeah. can torture us with emoji well, then you get to play the toy maker. You do. You, we play your game. And exactly. If we lose your game, we look really bad for to all of our followers on Twitter. So that's good. So that, if, we, if we lose the game, then for the whole next pull to open, we have to appear just as hands, just as ghostly <laughs> hands, moving pieces on the trilogic board. Um, yes. Well, <laughs> so please don't leave us a review. You've you've been leaving us comments on YouTube, mm-hmm. which is uh, resuming activity. Yeah. So YouTube uh, is going great. We're again, everybody, we're at youtube.com slash pull to open. If you already subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app somewhere, uh, it would actually really help the show if you also subscribe on YouTube. Plus, you get to see us, which is super fun. And, and all of our videos, all of our summaries, all of our plot summaries, if you like those simple, you know, one minute, two minute summaries, go check them out on YouTube. Yeah. And, and we all those and we also the videos that we cut to TikTok, we're also sharing them there as YouTube shorts. So if you're, say, a government employee and you can't have <laughs> TikTok on your phone, That's uh, right. you can all see all of that goodness on YouTube. Now, after a brief hiatus of, of um, uploading our older shows on Wednesdays, so we get the new shows every Saturday, older shows on Wednesdays until we're fully caught up, which should be in a couple of months, um, you get you get double your pull to open, double your fun. And we had a little brief hiatus over the holiday. We're going to resume doing those on Wednesdays, so look forward to that. Uh, and please subscribe, comment. We get some really great comments. 
and uh, we really want to hit a thousand f- subscribers in 2023. So please feel free to share the podcast there, the videos there. Um, we're almost at 500, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we can hit a thousand and I'm sure we can hit it uh, soon. So guys, go ahead. Sh- don't just share the podcast, share the YouTube. Everything helps the show. Fantastic. Yes, but we're, we're burying the lead here, which is that uh, TikTok is yes. going going off. It's going crazy, and we've hit the milestone that we were looking to do, which is how many followers, been? It is 10,000 followers! <laughs> yes. We've Two hit it, Jackpot. Bar, bar, bar. It's all come up, and it's all thanks to you guys, for you folks who follow us there, see us there commenting there uh we're super thrilled to have finally hit the 10k mark this is and amazing you know what? guys you know what it was the gunfighters that put us over the top i'm gonna say <laughs> the, the 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 silent majority of tiktokers who actually love the gunfighters uh is is what did it for us so thanks it, it was because um we didn't quite do it in time for new year's but like a couple of days after it was like two or three days after it's like January 3rd, I believe, I sent you the text and it was just the screen cap of our TikTok <laughs> page. But it was like, yes. Um, so that was a great New Year's present. And as a reward for helping us hit 10,000 followers, guys, of course, you get more of us, but you get raw us. You're going yes. to get us live. We're doing it live, guys. So now we've actually just finished one of these, our first one. Uh, but when we tape the show... We would love to talk to you guys live with a short TikTok live that we're going to do before every episode, every episode taping of Pull to Open. So watch for that on the app. So follow us on TikTok. Again, it is simply Pull to Open on TikTok. Yeah. And uh, we'll see if we can get a schedule up so that you guys know when they're coming. Today's was a surprise. uh, And hopefully in the future, they won't be. But it's yeah, we're going to be there. we say that in the feedback loop, we want to have a conversation, and that's genuine. We really want to have a back and forth about all of the the random concepts, everything we spout on the show, uh, and and we'd love to, you know, if you if you like your conversations with Pull to Open to uh, proceed at the pace of slightly more frequent than once a week as we respond to your comments, um, or you know, responding to some of the comments on TikTok. But if you really want to talk to us, get on those TikTok lives. Uh, we've already had a little bit of a conversation this morning with some of our followers, and we'd, we'd love to do it again. And uh, I believe we we have an example of, of someone mm-hmm. making a suggestion on yeah. our gunfighters videos. On so TikTok. we we of course have comments on our videos there, and we do a little bit of asynchronous conversation. <laughs> we do here on the show. Uh, the lives will be perfectly synchronous, first time synchronous, but now we are asynchronous. And this one is on one of our gunfighters videos. So remember, you had that comment about how the doctor is teetotal in yeah. the, in the uh, story, which is unusual because we've seen him drink in other incarnations, and even this incarnation. Come and in, in this one, yes, yes, he fell off the wagon with the meddling monk. So a commenter by the name, uh, the handle of Samurai Zergling, <laughs> Samurai Zergling. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a very Douglas Adams name. I love it. It's not bad. Uh, he says, he or she says, well, maybe Time Lords consider their first incarnations too young to drink. Hmm. But who doesn't sneak one when they are too young? And the grinning <laughs> emoji. And I'm like, 
that makes that makes total sense honestly <laughs> and on some level that the first doctor is the youngest doctor i mean he you is know, the youngest doctor child and that um, might, might explain yeah. why he's drinking milk in the last chance saloon <laughs> <laughs> very it's a thing that very young regenerations do i th- i mean uh, if you remember pete one of the other things we were talking about the gunfighters was this notion that the doctor knows that he's dying like you know right. he's, he's yeah. had this sort of intimation of his mortality and his body's wearing a bit thin and that's part of what the toothache shows him um right. and uh yeah and you but but here he is drinking milk after that like nothing's wrong and it's, it does seem like sort of an ex- escape to childhood but I, I love this idea that you'd be too young to drink in your first regeneration and the, <laughs> the bars on gallifrey are like you know you have to show your id but your id has to show that you had a different face once oh that'd be so funny if the Gallifrey driver's license just has multiple photos yes but also like you have to prove that you've had a regeneration so Mm. it's the one place where you get punished if your driver's license photo does look like you oh nice yeah Just seeing like bouncers with the Time Lord collars, like with the flashlight, (laughs) (laughs) checking out someone's ID. Regeneration first? No, Mm. no, no, not working. (laughs) And and when the doctor came along with his fake ID, they were like, "How many regenerations have you had, doctor?" Um, <laughs> and then, like some skill testing question that you must be over a certain age. Like, what what is at the center of the universe? Hmm? <laughs> is it a singularity, or is it some ship with a giant dog on it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How was the universe created? Uh, what caused the Big Bang? Was it also perhaps a ship leaking fuel? Um, anyway, yes, I love. You see, you love the the head cannon that spins off of one TikTok comment. This is what you do to us, people. So please do and, it some more. And Samurai Zergling was the privileged person to do that. Thank you very much for the comment. And um, of course, you can also comment to us on Twitter and Instagram where we are at pull to open 63 and sharing a little more on both. So please follow us there as well. Indeed. So. Okay. Okay, Chris, we have some unfinished <laughs> business before we get to un- other business. We have unfinished business. So as listeners know, last time we had a bit of a clip show where we went through our old ratings. So our rating system, of course, here at pull to open has four ratings. You could either be an Ogron which is a lousy episode. You have a Professor Hater, which is perhaps a lousy episode, but maybe you learned something. You have a Dalek, which is a good episode, and you have the Viscount Banger, which is our highest rating for the bangers. Um, So uh, the thing is, when we were going through that, we kind of, here's the confusion. We, the thing that the trilogy that essentially closes out series 11 is three episodes. We lumped those all into one podcast, but when we were doing the codex, yeah, we decided to split stories, out yeah. mm-hmm. the haunting of Villa Diodati as a separate story. And Ascension mm-hmm. of the Cybermen and the Timeless Children are uh, together. So when we talked about it last week, we gave the trilogy a Professor Hater, but what we should consider now is does the haunting deserve its own score and if it does what what is that score i think it does i i don't honestly i'm gonna stick oh. with professor hater on it because i had such issues with villa diodati because it it's so squandered the potential uh hmm. for a story about you know mary shelley in that particular this the uh the year without a summer 
uh you know that it just that I, I go back to the podcast and listen to it or maybe don't because it's one of our earliest and we were kind of amateur <laughs> but but if you did go back to the podcast and listen i i kind of went through all of the issues that's like like why is mary shelley kind of backgrounded why is lord byron for like there's and, and why is it um you know, Percy Shot. Like, what, what, what is exactly going on here? Like, you have to draw more of a connection between the plot. I remember it being a bit of a mess, um, and yeah, I'm my, I'm just going on emotion here. My emotional memory of all three of those episodes, roughly the same, perhaps hmm, rising a little bit with Timeless Children, um, because just the, oh. the sheer because the well, have, masters basically, and you have Sasha Dewan, yeah, the scenery. exactly. So that is good. Um, <laughs> Interesting, harsh, unexpectedly harsh. I, I thought, um, maybe not unexpectedly, because you're actually re- making me remember mm. all the things I didn't like about it, like the the dumb ghost thing at the end yeah. and various sort of, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of wasted time on things that, that we should be doing something else. But everyone, when Ashad shows up, it gets kind of interesting. It definitely levels things up. I don't know. I'm gonna give it. I, I want. I'm gonna give it a Dalek. I'm gonna give it kind of a, okay. you know, probably a Destiny of the Daleks Dalek, which is you know, it's not your first choice in encountering the Daleks, and not yeah. certainly not the most competent Daleks. But uh, I, I, I have fond memories of that atmosphere and sort of what they were trying to do. Even though the, I think what you're saying is, I just wasn't as bothered by the squandered right. potential of, of Mary. Sh- I didn't, I frankly, didn't really like any of those people. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> maybe that, you know, again, mm-hmm. it's kind of a problem, but I mean, given the story that they were telling on its own terms, I think it's okay. Um, okay. so we could, we could do a little split decision. We can disagree. That's what happened. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's how we roll here on pull to open. Um, all so right. Yeah, now the good. codex is complete. Huzzah. Now we're good. Guys, the, the codex, codex is complete. Shall we'll stand more... for a thousand years. <laughs> we'll talk about bit more about the codex at the end of the show when oh, yeah. we actually have to open it up. The but new upgraded codex. I'm excited about that. Yeah, we have uh, just a couple of other things to chat about in terms of other business. One is the new animations, hmm. which are for realsies. I mean, actually, I don't know if they're for realsies because even though. The Radio Times wrote about it. I think they were just re-reporting this story that appeared in the Daily Mail. Uh, I think it was the Mail that yeah. said there. Even though last year it was reported that the animation project that was animating the old episodes had run out of money, and the oh god, what's the new one? That's the last one. Um, anyway, one of the Troughton episodes is 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 was supposed to be was going to be the last one unless they came up with new funding. Apparently, right. they got some new funding, Fantastic. and it it the, there's two more at least two more next year or sorry this year in 2023 that are going to be released. Uh, one is the Underwater Menace, yeah. and another is a Hartnell episode called The Smugglers, and, which is in yeah. the same season that we're, we're currently trapped yeah. in. <laughs> the one that follows the Gunfighters, we saw a few seconds of the Smugglers. At the end of the gunfighters, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. See, interesting that they've chosen that one. And it's interesting timing. Thought, was given it the smugglers that, or was that the savages? Oh, you're right. That was the savages. I'm so yeah. sorry. Savages, smugglers. There's a uh, bunch that I I feel like are these the somethings that yes. in my mind sort of all merge together, and one of them is even a trout in one because there's like the space pirates. Yes. Um, Honestly, and- if you told me there was a Doctor Who story called The Smurfs, I'd, I'd believe it. It just <laughs> sounds like the Smurfs. <laughs> so anyway, Smurf. 
anyway. hope that's something we can look forward to again. It was, I don't think it was uh, confirmed, but it is a story that, I mean, it sounds okay. I'm just sort of surprised though. It also was, it's not Disney that's actually funding this. And um, that's interesting. Uh, well, I also remember when, when this announcement came out because we were on the Celestial Toy Maker, I was like, well, why don't they, why yes. don't they animate the Celestial Toy Maker? Why, you know, why don't they do those missing episodes? And maybe one reason is that the fourth episode is available, but also uh, th- there are other reasons. I think we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, we will. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, just, you know, it's not as great as yeah, I'd hoped it would be. Put it that way. Spoilers. Okay. Um, and there's one other tidbit I wanted to just mention, just because we are also in this era. Mm. Russell T. Davies apparently has said that, this is a quote, we're about to transmit the words Mavic Chen on television mm. for the first time since 1966. I and, had to look up Mavic Chen. If yeah. you are anything like me, dear listener, uh, you probably did too, because you've probably not seen the Daleks master plan mm. uh, as, a, as I have not. And he was, I believe, the guardian of the solar system. That's correct. Yes. And not to spoil anything, but he ends up being not so great a person. Um, shocked, shocked to find treachery going on here. Anyway, I, I don't want to get too much on a Mavic Chen tangent, but <laughs> it's interesting that where RTD is going, uh, you know, assuming, I mean, I think we can assume this Lestal Toymaker stuff's true mm-hmm. and that Mavic Chen is a thing that is going to happen. I mean, he's mm. doing these interesting sort of retro things. And I, I don't think, I don't want to read too much into this. I don't think he's going to do like a whole Daleks master plan uh, revise or, <laughs> but. But it's, it's interesting he's, he's really that it's world building here with the world. It's yeah. Hartnell era as well. Right. Now, that's interesting. If 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 RTD is sort of trying to marry the the new aesthetic of uh, Shudigatwa with like the oldest era of the show, mm. that's that's a very interesting approach and one that has me very intrigued. I love it when Doctor Who goes back to old stuff. Uh, to be honest, because there is so much out there, and you know. Writers are great at coming up with new monsters. You know, Doctor Who has new monsters out the wazoo. But at a certain point, you as a Who fan have probably, like me, turned to myself or who I was on the Cash XP and gone, hang on, just how many species of evil monster are there in the universe? <laughs> uh, surely you'd encounter each one more than more than once or a few times if they happen to be Daleks or Cybermen. Like, you know, just a few monsters that seem to proliferate everywhere. So, yeah. Bring mm. us, bring us back. Remind us that this is a serial, ultimately, at the end of the day, that goes back to 1963. Um, does tell a continuous story, even though it may not seem like it. Uh, well, and there also is like a through line, the idea of perhaps recapturing a bit of the ethos of that era, where there mm. was, you know, there was certainly a lot of mystery on the, around the Doctor, and uh, we'll get into it in the episode we're about to talk about. I think there's. Some very what some of the best things about it are the um, sort of hints of his background, mm. um, but trying to recapture a little bit of that, trying to give, I think each doctor to some extent has sort of their own galaxy and their own mm. cosmos that they sort of bounce around. Um, yes, with, they do. With hints to the other eras and trying to trying to sort of do a little bit of not quite sequeling, but sort of being in the same universe as Hartnell. I think that's, mm. that's a smart thing to do. Um, I, I yeah. wonder if it does sort of suggest that, uh, like RTD seems to, 
want to use the celestial toy. This is my guess at the moment. What exactly is going on? Here. Use the, he's using the celestial toy maker to do a crisis on infinite earths kind of thing with the whole Doctor Who canon. Hmm, and I think that actually what you're talking about, this notion that each Doctor sort of has their own galaxy, as it were, or you know, planets that they keep returning to. Uh, certainly, you know, it's amazing that uh, you know the Doctor kept uh, re-encountering all his season six uh, allies and brought them all in for a, a good man goes to war. Right, yeah, example, right. <laughs> amazing coincidence. They just happen to go back to all these people. But like, maybe there is some way that you could formalize that. And say that you know, in this in this new canon that you're building with a celestial toy maker's help or whatever it is you're doing, that is literally true. That each doctor has his own sort of galaxy or star system that the TARDIS is bouncing him around. Uh, there, there are so many ways that you could um, take Doctor Who canon and smooth it out, and mm. and you know, going forward, make it a little more accessible so this is good i'm gonna say because rtd is a man of the 21st century he's probably not gonna have mavic chan played by a uh white man <laughs> okay uh, yes. with uh, the uh, yeah the the makeup yeah. and the yeah, yeah. yeah if, you, if you do the image search for mavic chan mm-hmm. it's a bit unfortunate mm-hmm. for sure yes, um, we'll suspect. get into that yeah <laughs> mm. well we'll get into that when we get into it and um we'll get into it a tiny bit here uh but that is to come after, of course, we do our regular segment of Pull uh, to Open, now that we're transitioning to talking about the Celestial Toymaker, yeah. we have no choice, listeners, but to start with TLDW, Too Long Didn't Watch, Too Long Doctor Who, and one of us is going to summarize the entire story of the Celestial Toymaker in record time, and this week, it is one Chris Taylor. Are you ready, sir? Not as, not in the slightest. Uh, too long didn't <laughs> too long didn't prepare is my motto this week. Um, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. It's been a while since I saw episode one, and of course we we're only watching them with like tele snaps. Like well, this is you, the first. If you saw episode one, oh, you did the tele snaps. Oh, <laughs> yes. I see. I thought if you saw it, yeah. it would have been a while because it would have been sixty, <laughs> almost fifty-eight years since you saw it's it. It's been eighty-four years <laughs> since I saw the Celestial Time Maker. Um, no, thank thank you to the uh, loose cannon um, tele snap version, uh, which allowed me to to watch that uh yeah it's it's been a while so let me see if i can gather all my resources and tell this story all right well as listeners know we allocate 30 seconds for every 25 minute episode so you have a full two minutes to summarize the celestial toy maker and i'm just gonna put you on the spot and tell you to do it in five seconds three oh i skipped one two (laughs) one go Okay, so we're in the TARDIS with the Doctor, Dodo, and Stephen. But what's happened? The Doctor has disappeared. He's he's insubstantial. And is it the Refusians? No, it's it's something else. It's something more malevolent. And they step out of the TARDIS, uh, TARDIS and they're in the Celestial Toymaker's uh, world uh, toy room, whatever you call it. Um, but it's got lots of doll houses in there. And the Celestial Toymaker is this guy in a Chinese Mandarin outfit, and he keeps turning the dolls into real people and he whisks the doctor away the doctor's briefly not invisible but then he whisks him away to play a game of uh, trilogic which the doctor will proceed to do over the rest of the entire story while steven and dodo take on a, a series of challenges 
and these challenges are first there's one with a couple of clowns uh one one is called clara and uh and they are playing snakes and ladders but the clowns keep cheating um and the, there's something involving a blindfold to make them stop cheating anyway uh the next bunch of people they encounter are uh the uh, playing cards there's the queen of one hearts minute. And her husband, King Henry, and there's there's a, a jester, uh, and there's a knave, and uh, they have to solve something with with chairs that, that collapse in on themselves, and or freeze. Uh, Jodo gets in a freezing chair. They have to choose the right chair, and only after they complete any one of these would they have a chance of getting to the TARDIS. But the TARDIS keep being fake uh, because the toy maker's taken away the real TARDIS, so he just gives them riddles in these new fake TARDISes, and then they they go to like a a sort of an 18th century soldier. And uh, Mrs. Wiggs, uh, who's a cook, and they have to find a key, and they find it in the in Mrs. Wiggs's pie, and they and then they meet Cyril, who is absolutely not the schoolboy Billy Bunter. He is Cyril, the schoolboy, and they play a game of Tardis hopscotch. And again, Cyril keeps cheating, but he messes himself up. He slips on some powder. He dies. Stephen and Dodo get into the Tardis. The Doctor gets into the Tardis too, but he has to do the last trilogic uh, game by remote by uh, getting the Tardis to simulate the Celestial Toy Maker's voice, and and he destroys the Celestial Toy Maker's realm. And, and he has a sweet, and he chooses it, and gets toothache. Does he ever? Good job. Woo! Got it. Yeah, I, I got it. Gave you. I think I gave you a little extra time there, just because. <laughs> I totally forgot to start the timer when we got like, we haven't done this in a couple of weeks. So I, I had to do the first 30 minutes seconds by estimate. So oh, uh, is I'm it because we're, we're in the celestial toy maker's realm. Therefore your stopwatch had a hard time actually starting. He controls. Yeah, us. I think uh, let's do that. Let's do that. It's <laughs> all, that. it's all part of the, some grand plan from some strange extra ringmaster. Yes. Um, so, yes. yeah, that that's the celestial toy maker. It's a, it's an interesting take. <laughs> I gotta say, first of all, it is the yeah. most. You know, a lot of times in the Hartnell era, you get stories where it's obvious that certain members of the cast have been given a week off. Right. Right. You know, we we've seen a few of these. You know, Barbara disappearing for like episode three of the Sensorites. Um, obviously, William Hartnell was out for episode three of the uh, the Tenth Planet. Um, who is yeah. it? The episode three is weirdly yeah. the people go on vacation for, but this one could not be more obvious setup for William Hartnell is pissed off. Let's give him a vacation, which is exactly yeah. what happened. Well, this is it. This feels like the original Doctor Light episode. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> and you know he's he's basically not in episodes two and three at all, and I it's, think they just did some voice over stuff yeah. with him, and he's a disembodied hand playing Trilogic. Right, like, and the, the, the celestial toy maker makes him mute at one point, so deliberately <laughs> avoiding any need for voiceover. But I don't know; it just seems so obvious. It is a Doctor Light episode, but it's like the the most sort of childish thing you can think of to make it a Doctor Light. Ooh, let's make him invisible. Let's. <laughs> he's he's just playing this game where he just has to move pieces with a hand, so he's really there, and they. You know, true fans of Celestial Toymaker know that they they had a stand-in hand with the Doctor's ring on it. <laughs> yeah, it's not William Hartnell's hand that we're actually seeing. It's a much younger so, one. It's a Doctor Light episode. It's also a budget light episode. Oh my god! Is um, so just before we get into it, a little background on this episode. This was we said this during the Gunfighters, but this was a very tumultuous time for Doctor Who. They went mm. very rapidly through a couple of production teams. And there was basically an overhaul of the show that just sort of kept getting overhauled 
um, behind the camera, that is. And, you know, scripts were worked up by one team, taken over by the other. And this was um, strangely the episode that caused it to some extent. So a little bit of background mm. here is that there was a producer, uh, John Wiles, yes. who didn't want William Hartnell to be in the show anymore. Yeah, and I, they, I assume they just didn't get on. He also, you know, Hartnell was uh, pretty well known. He was not doing that well health wise. Um, you know, it affected uh, his work to some extent. Yeah. He flushed his lines a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so uh, again, I'm not trying to equivocate for what Wiles did because what he did was sounds pretty underhanded because he essentially commissioned the script and then he had planned to have the doctor played by a different actor when he came back mm. from the invisibility and thankfully the BBC head of drama at the time vetoed the idea, which led to a falling out with this producer who then had a very bitter, um, was very bitter about it. And he mm. sort of deliberately went way over budget on the arc, which was his last show. This right. was the first one that the new producer Innes Lloyd inherited and there was no money. So they had to essentially do this thing with existing sets and write a story that sort of could match uh, in terms of ambition, in terms of match what they had. And so that's kind of why you get this stuff where it's sort of empty-ish sets except for game boards. You have mm. the you know triangular stuff that they're jumping on at the end and they just kind of reuse the TARDIS prop a lot. They did. Um, and also, a lot of it was rewritten at the last minute. And, yeah. and you can definitely, because you, you, if you're thinking like, oh, you know, okay, empty sets, limited number of actors. Uh, this is, I mean, the, the idea of the Toymaker's Realm is so rich that you can sort of see why people thought this was a lost classic before they actually heard the audio, <laughs> you know, before they actually uh, saw it put together with the, the snaps and realized just how kind of much of a mess it was. Uh, a lot of that was due to last minute rewrites and, you know, uh, writers who worked at it being aghast at each other's work. Uh, you know, Jerry Davis, I think, was the one who sort of made it much more childish, much more pantomime-like. I think well, yeah, the, the in, in addition to the sort of pr- production uh, issues um uh, so it's funny like i have the original novelization which right. jerry davis wrote with i guess alan Jen, allison uh, benjamin and he actually has a forward in there that explains not the full story i just did but he talks about how um the same guy who ended up firing john wiles he had he was a playwright and he wrote a yes. play called george and margaret george and, margaret. and they were supposedly going to use characters from that play so the, in the this, characters, the, the characters in the play in yeah. this uh, serial, and he well, vetoed it. And according to Jerry Davis, he vetoed it at the last minute. Mm. Now I've heard conflicting stories here that someone basically wrote them in without his knowledge, and then he vetoed it, which is a, sort of a different thing altogether. Regardless, there was a bunch of rewriting done, and they had to rewrite again to. Mm change the characters to the clowns and the playing cards and, and just sort of do an entirely different thing. Uh, but <laughs> drama, drama, so, drama. And Jerry yeah, Davis but, did most of the rewrites, as you said, and arguably made it uh, sort of more of a childlike he did. Um, game, so, uh, game playing thing. The drama off screen is almost more interesting than the drama <laughs> that's on screen with this. Let's, let's talk about George and Margaret since you bring it up. So this was a 1937 play. 
And the whole idea of the play is that you never meet George and Margaret. It's it's sort of the same idea as waiting for Godot, right? Okay. Godot never shows up. Uh, Jerry Davis or whoever inserted George and Margaret into the script thought it would be screamingly hilarious to actually have George and Margaret in, in the play. Like you get right that George and Margaret, the proprietors of this country house, and that everyone is talking throughout them about the play. You learn more and more and more about what I guess you know bad people they are. Um, and then right at the very end, the door opens and off the side of the stage, everyone's like, George and Margaret, they're here. Play ends. You never see them. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So We should note what? that the person credited with writing this is Brian Hales, who went on to create mm. the Ice Warriors and wrote virtually every episode they appeared in in the classic series. Yeah. And the... Um, person we're talking about the BBC's head of drama was Gerald Savory, and yes. he was also the playwright for George and Margaret. He was. Um, well, so, yeah. well, first of all, let me tell everyone listening: we're going to start talking about the episode itself at some point. Um, <laughs> but this is a central back because Jerry Davis yeah. has sort of used this. I, I read that same introduction in the Target novelization. He does sort of use this, I think, as a defensive measure to right. kind of say, "Oh, it's uh, you know, of course, it's a bit rubbish. It's." Uh, you know, yes. <laughs> I had to rewrite everything at the last minute. Well, no, you really didn't. You just had to take these George and Margaret characters and turn them into a bunch of other characters, mm. clowns playing cards, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, not that much rewriting involved, but also like, what were you thinking? Like he actually takes credit for this idea. What, who in their right mind would write a Doctor Who script and like include Godot and think that that was going to be a clever idea a good reference that all the audience would get well especially for a kid's show so here's here's where i land on this and this is why i kind of wanted to set this up for all that drama the celestial toy maker has absolutely no right being as good as it is because i think it's actually (laughs) it pulls off what it's trying to do you know between hartnell not being there between all the insanity uh, behind the scenes to get some kind of story with a threadbare budget um, there's there's enough here that holds your attention and gets your mind working in some ways. And part of that is a little bit of bringing headcanon from the future to it. But mm. they, they, the canvas that's here, as kind of blank as it is, I'm excited to fill in. And it's mostly like the toy maker and the doctor I'm getting at and their whatever history they have and have subsequently had. But it, you can't get it out of your head. Once you're you're exposed <laughs> to it, and now that said, this doesn't fully go into it. Later things they did with the toy maker in sort of the other media, like novels and audios, did yeah. uh, to some extent anyway. But even even where there you have Stephen and Dodo playing the games mostly, that's pretty good. And you know, even though you you basically have the Doctor and you know the toy maker still there. Um, they get a chance to shine and play off each other and show how they're contrasted. And for me, that really worked. Um, I don't know about you, but overall, um, like I say, (laughs) there's, there's definitely like, you could tell even just by listening to it, how uh, spare this is. Um, But over, I I was never really that bored. I mean, I was like, okay, what's the next thing and how are they going to get out of this? And there are for the time, some pretty nice twists with regard to, especially the chair room. Um, where they have to throw yeah. dolls on chairs and stuff. So, I mean, well, it's, it's not bad. 
I I think we're I can already tell where this episode of Pull to Open is going. We're going to be <laughs> Split. hugely agreeing to disagree on this because I hated it. I okay. hated it, and I, I but I do first of all want to say I, I know what you're getting at because it does create so much potential for headcanon. We learn that the Doctor and the Toy Maker have met before, and I think mm. it's partly because of the the sort of excitement of that of presuming that that would mean a lot more information would come out about their previous meetings. Uh, And then the script does like, but I don't know why it does it. William Hartnell needed a vacation, but the script writes him out and, and, and the, the, the potential for Dr. Toymaker dialogue in episodes two and three is gone. Uh, uh, there's so much more that you could have done with that. It just feels dramatically wrong to do it. Whatever you do it, you're just sort of drawing attention to the fact that you're taking your lead actor out and you're not allowing dialogue. It's, it seems the opposite of drama to me. Yeah, <laughs> I see so what you're static. saying. No, you're not wrong. I mean, mm. the the stuff with the disembodied hand mm. um, and even the, the lack of, you know, when he mutes him, you're really frustrated by it. But You do get a catharsis in episode four when he is freed and you get more of the back and forth, particularly when they're trapped and they're not sure how to defeat the toy maker. Like they're really stumped. Right. And that you, you kind of really feeling that and the doctor sort of lays on a little more wisdom from his perspective because he knows enough about the toy maker that, Oh, he's immortal. He's even if we could destroy his realm by winning the game, he will continue somehow and we'll, we'll be dead. It is interesting. Um, like episode four is, is really, it's the best of the bunch. I don't know if that's just because it's the only one that survives. Um, but yeah, you do have that TARDIS scene at the end. And I did like that where it is really heavily set up that the toy maker will come back, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. It's taken us nearly 60 years to get there. Um, yeah, it is kind of nuts. I mean, we, we might want to talk about that a bit. Like, wh- yeah. why do you think they never came back here? I mean, they certainly did in audios, and they were they were going to for season 23 when um, they wrote The Nightmare Fair. Right. And that was going to be a broadcast episode for Colin Baker's second season. Obviously, there was all the drama of that time, and mm. the show was put on hiatus. And ultimately, it became first a novelization and then a big finish audio drama. Uh, and uh, which I also listened to in preparation for this, and I, I would yeah, honestly I say just, the Nightmare Fair is a little, little more disappointing than this one. Really, you, you, you're awaiting that payoff, yeah, uh, that you don't get here, and it sort of pays it off in a, shall we say, underwhelming way. Well, I, I will say one thing about Nightmare Fair. I haven't listened to it yet, but for all you folks who are watching and listening on Spotify, it's available on Spotify. Just search What's for Doc- Doctor Who Nightmare Fair, it's, or even just Nightmare Fair. It's right there. Go listen to it uh, after nice. you've listened to us, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I queued that one up. I, I did I did what I could, Pete, to try and invest myself with excitement about the toy maker from this. Uh, I you know I I went back and read the the very first Eighth Doctor comic adventure. Oh, Endgame. Um, Endgame, yes, which features the toy maker. And which it got me a little bit excited because it features the toy maker, spoiler alert, making a version of the doctor hmm. uh, to do battle with the doctor. Uh, and I like that. And, you know, yeah, yeah. the script writer was Alan Grant. It was very clever. It had Beatles references in it. You know, it was kind of 
designed to appeal to all my interests. But uh, but yeah, again, it's sort of like oh, it's, there's so much wasted potential with the toy maker, or wasted up until this point. Uh, that it just sort of each appearance just sort of has whetted my appetite for whatever it is that RTD is going to do. Um, now that said, there are a couple of things that I feel like we have to talk about the toy maker mm-hmm. uh, in the celestial toy maker in the original story. Um, first of all, let's talk about that game, the trilogy, the trilogy game, game. Yeah, which is this is a big part of my sort of my problem with those scenes and why they feel so inert and dead to me. So the game is, you've probably played it yourself. You might know it as Towers of Hanoi. Uh, mm. is, I believe how it's known. It is that you have to t- complete, you have to take the blocks from point A, put them, get them on point C, going through to point B, or you have to put the blocks on point B first and right. then get them to point C. Well, you got you to use point B to get to point C, right? You just yes. sort of go back and forth and you, yeah. And you you put a you know a large you can't put a larger block on top on top of a smaller one, yeah, right. And uh, the 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 challenge that the celestial toy maker is giving the doctor, which basically seems to be a challenge to see if he has a weak mind now because he's so old and doddery. Like, uh, thanks. I, I guess <laughs> that's that's your diplomacy for getting William Hartnell back. Hmm, interesting choice. <laughs> Are you saying this is a relatively easy game for people to complete? <laughs> yeah, it I is. Never played it. It okay. is. And this is a lot of the commentary on this episode is like children can complete this game. Right. It is not hard. It is really not hard. Now the toy maker is making him do it in 1032 moves. Yeah. For, for some right. reason, but he's also not letting the doctor play the game. He's like, he's, he's set this whole thing up and then he's like, Oh, now we're going to fast forward to move 644. Right. Uh... Which, First of all, that points out that this is a game that that a computer could like. Uh, it could be an algorithmic. You could write an algorithm for how this game is to be completed. It's that simple, and he's just fast forwarding through the algorithm, right? And, and it's just sort of like, okay, you're you're helping the doctor, but you want to have a a, a game, a real challenge here. You're trying to challenge the doctor, but you're helping him by fast forwarding. And I guess the reason that he does that, script wise, is that. We know that he can do that with his voice, which sets up the ending, right? But yeah, and yeah, it takes away any of the any of the um, you know the the drama out of it. Like it's so just dull to my eyes. The yeah, I mean, here's honestly a, a case where the ambiguity kind of makes it better in some mm-hmm. ways because I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you, I I kind of didn't know what what he was doing like i didn't under, fully understand the trilogic game i didn't understand that the toy maker what what he was saying when he was saying go to move whatever like is he mm-hmm. i was like wait a minute is he playing against him somehow like it was a little weird um it just wasn't obvious and yeah. because of that you the at the end there where he sort of outsmarts him with the voice thing and um, I don't know. It, it somehow it worked for me. I, I felt there was a bit of a. <laughs> uh, I, I, I what? It, yes, I could have picked it apart, but I, I could only pick it apart after sort of reading the novel, listening to the audio, mm-hmm. and sort of then sort of figuring out exactly what was going on. Um, would you, would I, you I, recommend, by the way, reading the novel over over watching the uh, the telesnap version? Yes, I would definitely recommend mm. reading the novel. It's a really quick read. I was on a plane mm. this week and I read it 
on you know within a couple of hours like it took me like just a couple of hours on the plane to get through it so Mm -hmm. i just you know powered through it um it definitely uh it doesn't add a lot um i think (laughs) it goes you're not distracted by various things like it's basically just kind of a smoother ride through and it's i didn't like how the narration would interrupt in the audio Mm, to mm. describe things i think that really kind of threw me off i i prefer big finishes which of course build that into the dialogue um i would i think i would have preferred a version which was almost almost entirely the pure audio because i think Mm -hmm. viewers can kind of or listeners can fill in the blanks so even if it Mm. is like a little ambiguous just kind of like go with it all right. So the, uh, the, the the problem with the Trilogic game, uh, there are a couple of problems that leads into. First of all, I'll just say, it for me, it was emblematic of all of the games, uh, which, uh, I, I, to use a phrase from the, uh, to employ a phrase from The Good, uh, the good Place, uh, I'm going to say Jerry Davis, yeah, basic. Um, like, snakes and ladders? <laughs> Come on, snakes and ladders? And hopscotch? That's what you've got. That's well, what the celestial toy maker is into. Yeah, you know, but finds I mean, the key. What the, the hell? thing is, it's kind of like first of all, the snakes and the ladders game. Because I, I see what you're saying. One, it's you know you have to sort of correct a little bit. It's being aimed at kids, hmm. and they you, they want to see familiar things. It's a little bit like criticizing Bad Wolf for like, come on, uh, are they really going to be playing the same game shows? 500,000 years from now of course they're not going to be but it's like you know you you need to sort of reflect what the home audience is going to figure yeah, out but you but, love it and there's a twist on it right you know it's a, and there's twi- a twist on it and yeah. here i don't know if there's a there, there's some twist because there's cheating right mm-hmm. and um and here's where like i really had to come with my head cannon but it works in my mind mm-hmm. which is that um the, there's a it's really more i kind of sort of put it together in the the second challenge which is the chairs and dodo sits in the freezing chair Hmm. and it's it's kind of a losing move i mean it certainly is but because steven grabs her and pulls her out the sort of combined wills can break free and for that to work you have to sort of realize that the game is really just an abstraction and even though you can't break the rules, it's really like your will and your level of engagement that's really mattering here. And I like that. Because hmm. um, really the toy maker, if you try to pick at it apart, it doesn't really work. He's kind of too powerful, right? He can like change the doctor to being visible. He can essentially capture the TARDIS. So why is he bothering with these games? And why is hmm. he... Uh, why does like, but it's because his motivation he doesn't want to conquer he doesn't want to destroy he wants to amuse himself and he's figured out that his level of amusement is higher when he can actually lose you know so he submitted himself to his, these these games now at the same time um he's not strictly you know refereeing them you know, you mm. see the clowns cheat, and the implication is that if they didn't discover them cheating, they would have won. So it's not he, so he's much totally there's... on it when when uh, Stephen and Dodo cheat, but he's not on it when his own his own dolls cheat, basically. Right, and I think it's because it's you know you could this again. You really have to come with headcanon. It's because mm. you know you you because they discovered it, like their wills get stronger, and mm. if if. Steven had simply acquiesced to losing that he would disappoint the toy maker, you know, like the toy maker wants to see people fight and think outside the box in ways they 
would lose or win, right? Like so it's, mm. it's similar with the slippery powder at the end. He's going to let Cyril take it, but when um, they it's sort of Cyril discover it, messes himself up. Yeah, yeah it's I don't mm. know. It's kind of like this idea. I, if you've ever seen the show Suits, um, which there, there's a there's a mentality to how they approach trials and and legal challenges, which is mm. like you really have to sort of bend the rules and go outside them to win. And I think mm. the toy maker on some level sort of understands this and factors that in into the worlds he creates. He wants to see people amuse him. And if they simply follow the rules and are really good at playing, you know, whatever it is, chess, monopoly, snakes and ladders, there's only so much amusement there. He wants to be surprised too. So mm. he, he kind of allows for this. This is anyway, this is sort of how I explain it in my head. Cause I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> it's like there's, there's the games are kind of lame and how does it, how do, how do the rules even work if one side can cheat and one can't, but cause, cause, cause the clowns kind of win, right? The first time. Yeah. And then they call them out in the cheating and then it's like, well, now we have to play it again. And the clowns yeah, sort def- of just def- surrender to that. And so that's how they, that's how they beat them. Um, which again, again, if you just look at the game as an abstraction for a battle of wills, I think it works. Uh, okay, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I sort of got the feeling that you know, I, I'm sure you've you've you know come across your kids at some point. They're playing a game and they're fighting about it, and the game is really important to them. Yeah, but to you, it's just sort of a squabble over nothing, and you can't really tell what they're talking about. And you just want them to stop squabbling. Uh, that was my feeling throughout most of uh, at least episode two and three. Uh, it's basically what's going on here is one giant squabble between two sides in a game that is so basic that, you know, sort of bored by it, but at the same time, so like the, the twist on the game is so obscure that you're just like, I, I don't understand this. I don't want to understand this. Just stop fighting and play nice, please. <laughs> you know? My my poor head can't stand it. There's basically a lot of shouting. You know, if you listen there to the audio, is. And a I lot think of shouting. You might be over-indexing a bit on Steven, who gets mm. anno- he's probably as annoyed as you that he's being forced to play these games. And <laughs> he, he gets, but the thing is, I really like how they contrast him with Dodo and they both mm. get to win and lose yes. uh being themselves. Because Steven's headstrong, he's to the point of antagonizing. Um, his opponents, he's dismissive. He calls them all just toys that, you know, things the toy maker has mm. created to distract them. Whereas Dodo sort of more wisely understands that while it doesn't make any sense that they would be behaving this way if they were just controlled, literally controlled by the toy maker on strings. Mm. And she reasons, I think correctly, they never say it's true, but I think the implication is that she knows what she's, she's, she's figured it out that mm. these, these people they're playing against have personalities and wills of their own that the toy maker doesn't directly control. And whether that means they're people he's captured, I think that's kind of what they, the, the large implication is that these are people who've lost to him and they've become toys yeah. rather than constructs. Um, so yeah. And she sees the humanity. Uh, yeah. Totally, the humanity, but that of course mm-hmm. works against her in the last mm-hmm. game. Because yeah. you go back for Cyril, and of course he's deceptive. Which was, I, I got to admit, even that's the surviving episode. The mm-hmm. way it's shot is not very good. It's it's they're clearly rushing through it. 
Mm. Um, you know, there's not a lot of budget to do different camera work. So yeah. it's very unconvincing. But I, I given some like I knew what they were going for. And honestly, like if I called out every Doctor Who scene for being unconvincing in the classic yeah. series, I would yeah. not be going with much. So I'm I'm okay I have with no, that. I have no problem with that. Like, yes, insert a, a scene where you see uh supposedly blood on like and it looks really bad on Cyril's leg right. and Dodo falls for it. I get that. Uh, it's kind of already been established, but already established in the most basic way because Dodo and Stephen literally fall for the things that you like today. And maybe this is today versus 1966, but like the idea that a clown hands you flowers. Uh, right. If you come up to a clown in the street and a clown hands you flowers, what are you going to expect? The flowers are going to shoot water in your face. Yeah. We all know this now. And Dodo says, Oh, how nice. I'd never been given flowers. Uh, well, which, isn't she from the 16th century or something? So it's no, like, she's she's she contemporary. She's contemporary. Uh, okay. Yeah, she's whatever from, she's like, from. Earth in the 60s. She's actually wearing a mini skirt in this episode that uh, Jackie Lane went out and bought for herself in Knightsbridge. The swinging 60s were underway, and I believe this is the first Who companion in a mini skirt. Oh, uh, all right, it's kind of interesting. Oh, that's uh, right, because that was another sort of consequence of the production teams. They were yeah. getting a little less conservative with mm-hmm. um, fashion, which was a good call. Yes, yeah. um, that one's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, and Stephen does the same thing, which is like never shake hands with a clown for goodness' sake. Like uh, you know, yeah. Stephen gets the, the long hand out of it, and uh, I, I almost expected a buzzer in there. Like maybe it's not the show's fault that. These things, these tropes about clowns, have become so basic now that that this looks like we roll our eyes so hard in that first episode. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe they're bad. people out of time. I mean, Stevens from the future, mm. so mm. <laughs> you could make that excuse. But yeah, I mean, certainly looking back now, and uh, maybe even then, it was not so good. I, you get the impression they put that stuff in so the kids at home would be like, "No, mm. don't," because they've <laughs> probably been to a circus and have seen it. Um, I, I'll right. say that the show probably redeems itself better with the other games and the mm. chair game, which I've mentioned, I think is quite good. I think the King and Queen of Hearts are played really well. Um, are they Hearts or whatever? whatever. The King and Queen, yeah, and the playing card. She's the Queen of Hearts. He's King Henry. Right, and you have never. the knave. Yeah, and um, the, and all played by the same actors, oh, which is like, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's great for the actors who originally contracted to play George and Margaret, right? They, they, they really take on the roles. And this is one thing that, you know, the, the showrunners in this era of, of who wanted was like better actors, you know, really, uh, make it believable. And, um, you know, and, and they, they did that with, with these and the, the fact that they, they sort of double up playing every role. I mean, you, I almost didn't know that they were in, they were basically the same actors in the role. They really inhabit hmm. uh, those, those different roles, but, but to what end, like it could, could you use the fact maybe that they are actually the same actors in, you know, lean into that a little bit, maybe. Um, Otherwise, it's just sort of like, okay, great, you've got some good actors, but you got them on the cheap and you got them to triple up. And they went off yeah. and did their own dialogue, which is why the BBC almost got into legal hot water here. Oh, uh, that's right. The yeah. guy playing Cyril and the knave and uh, the kitchen boy, same guy. And when he shows up as Cyril, Cyril apparently supposed to be originally based on the Artful Dodger from Oliver Twist. Um, 
but in fact dressed as a very uh, popular character in Britain, Billy Bunter, who was uh, on a TV show at the time, originally a series of novels. Um, it, it's one of the sort of the quintessential classic uh, boarding school comedies. Right. You know, the joke about Billy Bunter is that he's fat. <laughs> and a bit stupid and a bit sort of, you know, cowardly and, and kind of egomaniacal at the same time. So th- that's the kind of character that he is. So it's nice to kind of have a take on Billy, uh, but you actually yeah. have the actor who's yeah. playing Cyril saying, my friends call me Billy, which wasn't yeah. in the script. Yeah, he apparently ad-libbed. So it was Peter Stevens was the actor and he ad-libbed mm. that. And so it was the first ever disclaimer essentially that the bbc <laughs> had to put on yeah before the, like, before the next please. episode <laughs> yeah yeah cyril may look like billy bunter he's not billy bunter yeah <laughs> now I, like, I think he's the only i could be wrong about this but i think he's the only character that is acknowledged by the toy maker as being the same person like in other words like the same plaything. yes because um, they they say like we we saw you before in the other room and they could have done more there, but I, again, headcanning it a bit. Like I felt like, and I think there is enough dialogue. It's not just headcanning that this is like the toy maker's uh, best player. It's his queen, you know, on the chessboard. Mm. I'm this is I'm going to pull him out because he's diabolical and devious, and I yeah. know he's going to win no matter what. Um, so that was cool. I mean, it definitely sort of raises the stakes for that last game. And as he's making them go first and telling them the rules, but not telling them certain other rules. You, you, you're getting increasingly frustrated and angry. Um, I don't know. I worked for me. I was very, I was very into it. And when he falls off, um, you're both, you're both sort of happy and you're not, you don't know how you feel about it because he's just kind of incinerated and you're honestly not sure if he's dead or is he just another plaything again? Um, Mm. Yeah, but you know, you feel a little weird about winning, which I think is okay. Yeah, it's interesting that the you know this does involve the death of dolls, and again, I think that could have been explored more. Uh, but yeah, Peter Stevens does really good work yes. in this as as Cyril. I think that you know it is sort of a modern notion to take a character that you love in childhood and give him a sort of a you know queasy adult twist, uh, and, and this is very early example of that. So. You know, even though he got the BBC in hot water and nearly got them sued by the uh, the writer of Billy Bunter, um, I think that his what he brings to that role is possibly the most interesting thing for me in the whole of the Celestial Toymaker. So, should we talk a bit about the Toymaker himself, Michael yes. Goff? We should. Right? Goff, yes, yeah. uh, who is who you may recognize from the Tim Burton Batman movies. He was Alfred. Well, not from you wouldn't recognize him from this. Because he definitely was years later, and he yes, I mean, like, he's yeah, the yeah. same guy, but yeah, um, looked quite well, a you, bit different. You don't recognize him, which is sort of the interesting thing. But yeah. yes, um, is it is it time to? It might be time to pop into Chris's history corner just for a little bit Let's on the uh, potential hidden racism and not so hidden racism in this episode. So yeah, a little bit, but go ahead. Yeah, he's got the Mandarin outfit. Essentially, the Mandarin outfit. But yeah. the other thing that I did not know. Uh, until I started researching this, the word celestial itself is not just a reference to the stars and the sky. Uh, it was a common uh, epithet applied to the Chinese. I guess, yeah. But like yourself, yeah. I had no idea that was the case mm. uh, until I read something about this episode. And it, I feel like 
if you don't know it, <laughs> like how, if you don't know, well, it, now here's the the controversy: is some fans feel if you listen to a bit of the dialogue and you listen to it again and again, you slow it down or whatever. I don't know what they've done to it. Like episode four does seem slowed down to me. Uh, maybe the version I watched, uh, but it does seem like he's trying to do sort of Asian overtone, like speak in a sort mm. of slightly East Asian way. The choice of the the trilogic game being the Towers of Hanoi. Uh, even though that right. was originally a French game, it's very much associated with East Asia. And I believe there's a line in the novel that mentions like the, the Chinese characters on the Chinese engraving on the Chinese desk of the Chinese outfitted man. Like, you know, the subtext could be not more clear. He's Chinese guys. Um, you know, it seems that was well, maybe what Joe Davis he, was going for. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly insensitive by today's standards. Mm. I wouldn't go so far as to say they were, um, deliberately, I, I don't know what was in the minds of anyone, but it is, you know, you can't, um, like say it's like whether it's racist or appropriation, you know, simply because someone's sort of playing a game or, or you know, playing mm. Go or whatever. Um, it does this go further than that? I think it does a little bit. I think it's probably a little insensitive. I don't think you'd get an Mandarin outfit on a white guy in the same way today. Yeah. Um, but again, I think it's all kind of subtle enough that it's um it's it it's it's not the talents of wang chiang you know <laughs> like where yeah. or mavic chen as we were just talking about um, in fact i've seen in when you look at the uh, artwork they did for the nightmare fair and uh even if you look at endgame like he's still in that outfit right like yeah. um so again like and, and why not it's a, it's just you know it's a certain style and they decided this and you could argue it's all a brilliant homage to the great games that the Chinese have come up with right and you just thought these guys are the best at at doing this kind of thing I'm gonna I'm gonna appropriate this culture which is again yeah. <laughs> arguably which is more, well I mean yeah. he's a bad guy right he's mm-hmm. not gonna be sensitive about that so you know yeah i mean it does and it does sort of play into it's definitely an era where you know there was no problem with uh racial stereotypes of like you know right uh chinese east asian people being kind of you know uh evil mandarins with plots and schemes and games yeah um, yeah. yeah you know it, it's it was a little bit like around you remember like iron man and they had the mandarin there was yes like, there's a lot of that going around in the 60s for That's sure. an interesting thing because, of course, they undo that afterwards with Ben Kingsley yeah. doing those little shorts where you reveal that he, he was just supposed to be like he just took this on as an acting role. He's actually a jobbing actor, um, which is a fantastic way to sort of undo that. And I think we, we may be approaching something with RTD as well where he he also feels like he has to undo that. Like the one thing we know about Neil Patrick Harris's character, he is not in the Chinese Mandarin outfit. Nope. Uh, so maybe this is an attempt to divorce the celestial toy maker from those more <sighs> unsavory sides of his origins. Well, but he's I, definitely I will regenerated, say, and so he's he's regenerated just like the doctor, for, for he's sure. got, he gets a new outfit. For sure, he's regenerated into the form of Neil Patrick Harris, which the doctor has never done. So uh, mm-hmm. ahead of him on that one. Um, but also, that there is another clearer case of racism in the episode. Unfortunately, it's nothing to do with the toy maker itself. They do the eeny, meeny, miny, eeny, miny, mo rhyme. And they do the bad bad. version. They do the bad version with the N-word. And this is 1966, people. This is the middle of civil rights. This is not like you can't say with that one that it's legit. Um, Yeah, luckily, 
in the audio, the Peter Purvis narration is like right yeah. over it. So they right. kind of down. Do you watch the telesnap version though? Right. So yes. did you, was it full on? It's full on. Yeah. You, you can hear it. And it's just, Ouch. yeah. Again, I mean, it doesn't make it okay, but the fact that all of this is done by characters that are ostensibly the bad guys Mm. Um, you know, at least it's not Steven saying it, you know, like, yes, that would be a lot worse. Yeah. So you, you, you could, you could, you at least have mm. that. Yeah. I and mean, we may, we may have to table this discussion until we get to the arc, but, uh, I just remember the, the, the commentator who uh, I was reading on the social toy maker saw this of a piece with racism in the arc and that those two were like beyond, just beyond the pale, uh, mm. when, when put together. So, you know, <laughs> however many hundred Poulter opens down the line when we actually get to the arc, uh, we can discuss that in, in this context. But suffice to say, I, uh, I'm glad that RTD is taking this character in new directions. And, yeah. um, yeah, for a lot of reasons to, to that, leave this version behind. That said, I really like Goff's performance, right? Like mm. he's really good as the toy maker, I think. He definitely has this air about him that he, he's got the he's, menace. Yeah, mm. and he's just he's sort of above everything. I like it when Steven actually tries to physically confront him in episode four. He's just, you know, doesn't even laugh at him even. It's just like, whatever, dude. Mm. And <laughs> he's he's basically dismissive of everyone who's not on his level. Uh, either intellectually or in in terms of his power, um, mm. but of course, I, in my mind, that makes him underestimate Stephen and Dodo, who actually tend to work okay together. And like I say, they they complement each other fairly well during the games. Uh, another good example is in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and Steve. This is really sort of where the stark contrast really works. Where Stephen's just super dismissive. He keeps saying, "Don't even don't even engage with these." Uh, constructs or whatever and but because dodo can sort of use her empathy and uh, to some extent her femininity there he she instigates that conflict between the cook and Mm. the soldier and uh because of that they end up solving that that thing that that issue probably not exactly what she had in mind but like her her engagement with the the toy makers playthings is really what saved them there Oh. Yeah, if this was modern, who you definitely play up Dodo's empathy a lot more. You, you, yeah. you know, you, you, there were a lot of ways you could sharpen this script to sort of show that this is the conflict between Stephen and Dodo, and is kind of essential. Um, not, yeah. not really essential because, of course, we've seen the gunmakers, uh, the gunfighters, and we know that they don't really continue that same conflict in the next one. Um, but, but there it is. It would have been a nice way to distinguish the characters. Yeah. And I got to say, not seeing the actual sets and the characters of the clowns and the dolls, I think was probably a good thing because clowns and dolls are just so creepy, you yeah. know? And once when, when they're described, I think you can sort of make up something in your head that's really creepy. I really thought when they advance from the chair room to the kitchen and they sort of have this moment where they might go back and the dolls come out and block their way. That felt so creepy to me. I was just imagining Mm. something terrifying. These weird ass dolls, full size dolls standing in front of you with halting movements. Yes. I did wonder about, because it is on the telesnap version. It's a bit sort of like it kind of, (laughs) kind of, they just sort of, they're standing there static. Right. And you, then 
caption comes along the bottom of the screen saying, you know, the, the dolls widen out to prevent Stephen and Dodo from getting through. I'm like, really? This this guy, Stephen, <laughs> like he's seven feet tall and he's being stopped by a bunch of ballerinas and they're spreading out to stop him even more. Uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, if if you if you head kind of if you make the I don't know larger, creepier something, you just need well, a you, little, little again twist. sharpening the script. You would put something mm. in to show that the dolls are strong, powerful, mm. uh, invulnerable. Something yes. like they would snap something in half that they throw at them. Like that would yes. be something that would be pretty good. That made of um, titanium, yeah, something. Yeah, and I, I think they again they underutilize the dolls too because they just sort of block their way. But I think it would even be better if they were put a clock on what they're doing in the next room. So like after a certain mm. amount of time, the dolls come out and add sort of extra stakes, which is that, you know, if you, now, if you don't do it, you're going to be killed in a few minutes. Like, yes, uh, like evil auto and berserk or something like, okay. Stakes would have been great here. More <laughs> stakes in well, every one of these situations. But the stakes overall are clear, right? They have to win or they're going to be, the toy makers play things and we sort we see what happens to them with the yeah. chairs and the nave and whatever else. So there are, there are stakes like you do feel it and you, th- and the thing is the thing that bothers you a little bit. And again, I had canon it is why, do, why isn't the toy maker just, he's just going to win, right? He's that powerful, yeah. but you know, he can't be as po- either as powerful as he seems, or again, I, my view, he simply submits himself to this whole uh, the 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 fact that he can lose because otherwise just life isn't worth, worth living for him. It's the only thing that sort of is keeping him going. Uh, yeah, the more we're talking about, the more I'm realizing that the, the toy maker is basically just an internet troll. Like that that's his natural. <laughs> he shouldn't really be playing games. He should be on Twitter. He, yeah, he should yeah. be on Twitter running polls and then you know telling people they cheated when they when he loses those polls. <laughs> the ultimate shall, game. Shall I, yes. Shall I step down from the celestial toy maker position? I will abide by the results of this poll. A little Elon Musk reference there for folks who are not listening to this in 2023. Um, <laughs> <laughs> however long he's around. Anyway, um, so yeah. we talked about it already, but there's a lot of sequels to this. So there's the Nightmare mm. Fair. Yes. Um, you, we talked about um, the set in Blackpool. The set in Blackpool. Yep. Mm. And there's Solitaire, which is another audio. I guess with the Eighth mm. Doctor, I've not listened to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one called The Magic Mousetrap, which I think was more of a mm-hmm. sort of special. Um, so it's not. A, I don't know if it's a serious sort of celestial toy maker take. That was the Seventh Doctor. There were books, uh, at least one called Divided Loyalties, which with the Fifth Doctor. Um, which I think explains maybe the first encounter with the doctor. I'm not sure. Uh, comics Endgame, and another one called relative dimensions with the 12th doctor. Hmm. And there's one from the doctor who earlier doctor who magazine days, which didn't have the doctor. It was one of those sort of short stories they did uh, called the greatest gamble. So this is a thing and I don't sort of want to go that deep on any of these, but it shows like how intriguing and interesting the whole idea of the toy maker is mm. and you, you you just you know this is why i'm i'm buying what they're selling right because i'm excited <laughs> to bring my headcanon to such a character because this is a common it's almost a trope it probably is a trope of mm. this master manipulator antagonist that's literally playing with you like a chess piece and i recall early Justice League of America comics 
which uh, I forget what the name of the villain is. It's probably something like the game master that like, you know, <laughs> they always have the name like that. Mm-hmm. And they force one of the Justice League members to literally sort of play chess with the other Justice League people. And whenever they land on a square, like something happens. Um, and you know, for, I don't know, for some reason, that's just riveting. And, mm. you know, I think it only is if there is a chance of your heroes winning. But you, you when they're forced into this, they're such, so the underdog. And I don't know, it's maybe it's just too obvious a metaphor, but to sort of see the conflict that you're witnessing sort of spelled out on this board, literally, mm. um, I think there's the stakes of the game, but then there's also the, uh, um, the extra stakes of getting out of the game that right. uh, are inherently attached to that. And that's just so interesting. Um, so I, I think that's yeah. why they keep coming back to this idea. I love the setup. Uh, it is. Um, it reminds me a lot of something called the Adventure Game, which was on the BBC between uh, 1980 and 1986. And the story was you you had a couple of uh, celebrities and and a member. It was sort of an early reality show, but set in space. Uh, and the idea is mm. you, you go you go to the planet Arg, which is uh, you know it's, it had a very Doctor Whoish kind of feel to it. You go to this planet where they love games, and you have to try and make it out alive. And uh, invariably, you know the celebrities die right. by the end of it. It's fantastic, and they always end with this uh, game where you're just sort of stepping on a chessboard, basically, and you don't know if you're about to step into a, a vortex square and, oh. and die. And yeah. that to me had so much uh, kind of childhood, uh, good, good childhood scare built into it. Childhood horror of like, oh no, you just killed my, you know, favorite uh, BBC TV presenter <laughs> on the vortex <laughs> on the planet arc. Oh no. Um, but it was just, I loved it. And there was always like, there, there were characters in it who you, you had to, right. there was this one guy who they had this actor who was very well versed in talking backwards. Okay. Um, and uh, you, you had to, so the, the people playing the game would have to first of all, figure out that's what he's doing, talking mm. backwards and then learn how to talk to him in his own language. Right. So fantastic. Uh, and and you know, the, the joke was that he was Australian. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was, it, that was kind of the clue. Awkward people. His accent was Australian. So you figured it out. Um, but I just love that sort of stuff. And you know, like they got newscasters involved as members of this alien race that could turn into humans. Loved it. And, and that to me is the gold standard of what you're, what we're talking about here. They're sort of, you know, using, the sort of the devilish games maker as, as a, as a trope and as a good trope and as a way to sort of, you know, create a good well, sort of naughty plot. Right. And I think as you just, just described that, I think one of the things that missing that's missing here is the fun. You know, mm-hmm. I just don't think it's quite fun enough. You kind of yes. want more, I don't know, not quite jolliness, but um, you want not just your, you know, stakes and, um, toy maker interest peaked you want you want to have a good time while you're doing it and i um again there's there's some moments here and there but it's just not enough in terms of like having a good twist or having having even little victories on their way to the big victory um yeah yeah, i mean maybe it's just sort of early 60s doctor who or i guess it's Mm. late 60s doctor who by this point but um and maybe the script writing just isn't quite there yet Uh, but yeah i i i 
have confidence that someone that's why Neil Patrick Harris has been cast yes. as the toy maker now. Cause that like Neil Patrick Harris is a fun actor. Like he's a, so much. I mean, you just have to look at any really literally any episode of how I met your mother and yeah. the person having the most fun on screen is clearly him. So there's going to be in terms of battle of wills with him and David Tennant yeah. on screen at the same time. I'm definitely looking forward to and he the really, magic that's going to result. He loves playing a villain, especially a sympathetic mm. villain. You know, we know that from Dr. Horrible. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is fantastic and definitely getting Dr. Horrible vibes from this. Uh, right from when he, you know, even when he announced himself appearing in the show with that Instagram, he had a wonderful caption that was, you know, uh, you know, have a wonderful life, Dr. Osho. They say death. <laughs> and, you know, something along those lines. Like he, he loved getting his evil laugh on dr horrible style uh i will say before we leave the adventure game if you're looking up any of it on youtube uh see if you can find the episodes with janet fielding uh, and bonnie langford they were both characters i believe destroyed by by the vortex uh on the planet of arg uh Mm. so that would have been wonderful but it does it does also remind me that um they had a lot of blue peter presenters in this blue peter you know a long running okay British yeah. TV show, which connects us children's to Peter show, Purvis, right? children's show, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, a sort of basically a magazine format. Like, you know, they have anything on this famous and one. Thanks to Blue Peter that some of these lost episodes survive. Because yes. Because they were on loan occasionally to that show because they wanted to use clips from Doctor Who. They and, were. Yeah. And it is thanks to Blue Peter that Peter Purvis ended his post Doctor Who drought of not getting any roles. Mm. And part of what he credits that is the fact that he took the Trilogic game prop from <laughs> the Celestial Toy Was Maker he given set. it or did he take it? <laughs> Probably just <laughs> took it. One of those it. things, isn't it, in Doctor Who history, you can never actually tell. You know, uh, Pertwee always talked about stealing stuff from the set. Remember the story about Roger Moore yes. gifting, uh, oh, I forget what it was, but... It, the, it was something, it was, uh, something that he'd used in uh, Live and Let Die, I believe. And, I, you know, it, it, it was sort of a very basic prop and, and yeah. it ended up in a poetry era show. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of fascinating. But yeah, so he gave away the Trilogic game. Uh, and then immediately after that, he got the role on, on Blue Peter. He got, you know, he became one of the presenters on Blue Peter. And he was on there for so long. Uh, that he lasted into when I was watching Blue Peter, you know, <laughs> some mid sixties to late seventies, and I think he was still on it in the eighties. Like that was his defining role. If you well, ask good for him. Child. Who got yeah. the Trilogic game? Do they still have it? I mean, I I thought he might have just discarded it, like he was thrown into the garbage or something. Yes. Um, but <laughs> I love the idea that someone took it and you know it's like yeah. the, the the witch's hat and what we do in the shadows. It's just this you know endless bad luck. Um, well, that's a question I may never have answered, uh, but oh. there are questions we are going to answer here oh, and yes. now about the Celestial Toy Maker, and they are the four questions to Doomsday. Yes. First question among the questions is, why did the randomizer take us here? Well, I mean, it's obviously, you know, I, I am a little, you know, a little scared of the randomizer, but also grateful to the randomizer that, uh, oh, oh, great and mighty randomizer, you've taken us here. Uh, and even though it was disappointing, like I, I needed to see this. It's one, it would have been on my short list of shows that I would voluntarily have watched 
um, <laughs> you know, before the, that's the a short list. <laughs> it's it's pretty short. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have a few things on there where I'm like, Ooh, Oh, I see I, before the 60th. You know, yes. I see before the 60th, but also right. like I have a running, like I really want to see day of the Daleks for some reason. I've never seen oh, it. I've seen a lot of your randomized request earlier. Yeah. It, well, I, I'm just throwing it in for, uh, for an example, but the yeah. celestial toy maker would have been on this right, right? Oh, for obvious reasons. And, and here is at the very start of our season four, at the very start of 2023, the randomizer obliging us and giving us a year to, to come up with the headcanon. It's extraordinary. So that's like letting it sink in for sure. Let that sink in. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like our, its own doctor who yearbook. It's starting up here with Colt Open, <laughs> the randomizer. It's like, boom. Let's that's maker. right. That's right. Even if you've got a subscription to Portal Open, you have to pay an extra $8 for this episode. Um, is it is a yearbook? Version. So in my Sorry, mind, I the obvious reason is that we just did the gunfighters and we're just <laughs> he's just doing it in reverse yeah. order. I mean that's so randomizer, so randomizer to do it like that. <laughs> the, the way that the stories bunch up, it's incredible. Uh, my read though is that we've recently gone to the master trilogy as we talked about in the previously, mm. and the toy maker has similar motives, different character, different different. Uh, things that are uh, pulling at him, but yeah. he wants to prove he's smarter than the doctor yes. ultimately and uh, really everybody, but that's what he's about. He, this is one of the more intriguing things about it, which we didn't probably talk quite enough about, which is that the doctor and the toy maker have encountered each other before. They have. And, and, and yeah. evidently the doctor had pretty sharp wits the previous time because the toy maker seems intent on, proving that he doesn't have sharp wits now which is right and he clearly sees the doctor as someone on his level if not in terms of power in terms of intellect so beating the doctor is think something he really really wants to do and to turn the doctor into one of his playthings um would be pretty interesting again i think it's less about sort of this personal history that he has with the master and more about um, he sees the doctor as representative of the ultimate opponent in his the thing that he loves the most in his world, which is games. You know, he just wants to believes games. I guess he's older. Well, they expand on this a little bit in the Nightmare Fair on the Toy Maker. They and it'll be interesting to see if RTD acknowledges it at all. But the Nightmare Fair establishes that the Toy Maker is from a parallel dimension where time runs slower. So that's why he is pretty much ageless mm. and um, has been in this universe for so long that he just, you know, games are the thing that amuse him. Yeah. Um, Which makes so, sense. Yeah, because he's just, he's done everything else. Mm. <laughs> and he's powerful enough to just conquer whatever. The doctor even says in The Nightmare Fair that he's was once seen just casually manipulating a supernova just to see what <laughs> it could do. Uh, which, I, I do love this idea that, and it is something that, that science fiction writers return to quite a lot. This notion of if you are an immortal being, what do you do with all that time? And uh, there's, you know, uh, to to bring us up, Douglas Adams again. There's that great character in the later books, Wildbagger, the infinitely prolonged, who has decided to insult everyone in the universe in alphabetical order. Huh. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I just you know. That's, Where's he at now? 
<laughs> take that, <laughs> take that and run with it. I mean, he, he reappears at various moments in the books, uh, you know, further through, further, further through his list. Right. So it's, it's just a wonderful, uh, recurring joke. Right. Um, nice. Well, but yeah, yeah so like maybe, maybe that'll be the the toy maker's ultimate fate after he gets bored of all games in the universe. Well, you know, only just, if uh, he wins, and this might be what we touch on in the second <laughs> question, which is what if the evil plot had succeeded? So the evil plot is obviously the toy maker's plot, uh, which is to turn Stephen and Dodo and the Doctor into his his dolls, basically. Right. And his playthings, and I think you've got to say that that is the old plot succeeding. Like the, you know, uh, the the other idea is that the the TARDIS gets caught in the, you know, destruction of the Toymaker's Pocket Universe, um, and uh, and then everyone dies, and then you basically just have this kind of uh, <laughs> this kind of version of Turn Left, but with right. like sixty years of Doctor Who in it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> like, but like it, literally everything, you know, every Dalek invasion succeeds, every Cyberman invasion, everything succeeds from 1966 onwards. Uh, well, you know, what if, what if he did lose? What if the series we've been watching since the Celestial Toymaker is ooh. all in the Toymaker's universe? Yes. You know, I would, wow. If RTD pulls that one, that would be the most audacious thing attempted in the then, history of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because then you could you could throw out whatever continuity you exactly. don't want, like Timeless Child, God, yep, God, <laughs> Gallifrey um, back. Yeah, <laughs> it just it's it, tempting, it, isn't it? <laughs> I, I love the idea. The Doctor goes to Gallifrey, and he's like, "I had the weirdest sense. You guys were in a pocket dimension, and then the Master destroyed you, and they're just looking at him, and then you became Cyber Masters, and he's like." They're all like, what? <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> like a, <laughs> they just do it. Yeah. So, you, didn't yeah. you launch a time war with the Daleks by trying to get me to destroy them? No. Yeah. But that's a good idea. So I like it. If the evil plot succeeds, Doctor Who still happens. It's just all in Toy, toy Maker's universe. And he's, he's the number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> the only fan. Yes. The doctor is wondering why he's got only one follower. <laughs> number one and number infinity. Okay, we're going with that. Wow, well, I mean that does sort of bring up a, a, a version of uh, the celestial toy maker where he's dressing up like the master, uh, you know, cosplaying the doctor in uh, Power of the Doctor. <laughs> nice. Maybe he was always there, but we know yeah. who is always there in every episode, of course, as we saw. <laughs> In the name of the doctor, where she was splintered across the doctor's timeline, Clara's here somewhere. Where is the Clara splinter? And I have an answer for this because it's so obvious. Yeah, <laughs> there's Clara. a Clara in this. <laughs> there's a Clara the clown. Clara. The, I mean, it just so as as I was watching, it, I was like, oh, the clown's name is Clara. Well, that's going to make the third question easy. Um, I so, yeah. <laughs> But it's hard because this is a like there are literally there are so few people in the celestial time right, universe. Right. Uh, perhaps he should uh, you know trap himself a therapist. And maybe you discover that he needs friends. Uh, he needs actual friends, not dolls. Uh, maybe uh, this is a, an early meta commentary on a geek fandom. You know, <laughs> making friends with your dolls, <laughs> playing constant games sounds a bit familiar. Um, but Ooh, yeah, so yeah, if. If Cla- so, there's a little number of people she could be. I guess she's Clara the Clown, and she just sort of messes up the game. 
Yeah, I, uh, I think you know the the clown one is kind of the one of the weaker ones. It's too bad they uh, they started with because it's snakes and ladders uh, and they they kind of lose and they kind of win. That's sort of one of the weaknesses of that. Still, I think you can make the case that you know Claire the clown isn't that great against playing against Steven and Dodo. Certainly, uh, once they've discovered the deception. Um, mm. So you could you could make the case that she deliberately loses to them after that. Right. So I'm going with that. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll go with that because yeah, no one else they no one else they could be unless she's someone off or she's a doll who died already or you know that stuff stuff. But yeah, that that's good for me. Clara is Clara. So that brings Fact. us, of course, to the final question, the only question, the question that matters most to the celestial toy maker, which is what are we going to rate it? Um, of course, to recap, our rating system has four ratings, a Dalek, which is a good episode of Doctor Who, and Ogron, which is perhaps a not-so-great episode of Doctor Who, a Professor Hader, which is a not-so-good episode, but at least we learned something, or a Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. Before we get into <laughs> our ratings, I want to talk a little bit about what my kids thought. So, Oh, yes, please. I did not... Um, show them the telesnap episode partly because okay. of time, partly because, mm-hmm. frankly, I just didn't <laughs> didn't mm. couldn't was not as good at you know, googling as you, Chris, at, at finding <laughs> it. Uh, so I was more intent on doing the audio. And daily motion, daily motion, people. Daily motion. It's what you got to do. Daily motion. Yeah, yeah. Sponsor us. Um, <laughs> but the uh, they liked it. They liked episode four. So basically what I did was like, I, I, I sat down and sort of described the first three episodes over about like five minutes. And then we watched episode mm. four and they, it held their attention. Um, Jack said basically, Oh, that, you know, it's showing Dalek signs there. That was okay. <laughs> uh, Grace liked it again. Again, it may be made it for kids and with kids games to some extent, I think was a bit of a factor here. Uh, for her especially, but mm. um, like you said, episode four is the best of the bunch. Yeah, so that's helped sway it, it really me is, somewhat. I uh, think that they also. I mean, I, I I always have a better experience in movies where I miss the first five or ten minutes. Uh, oh yeah, and Why invariably, do you think that is? I don't know, but it's because you have to engage your head cannon, right? You have to imagine the opening of the film and usually you imagine a much better version from what your friend next to you is telling you about how it opened than yeah is actually seen on the screen it's kind of like I, I get what you mean you're, you're doing the headcanon so you're already forcing yourself to come halfway to this thing and yeah you probably become much more forgiving yeah and you're kind of enamored yeah. with your own version and you're so so desperate to to grab a a hold on this i mean i remember this happening with i came in late to um uh fantastic beasts and where to find them and uh you know missed that whole thing you, you know came in when the mole creature was basically doing Never a heist on the <laughs> shop and uh you know and it i had a much better experience with that movie than everyone else i went to see it with and i think it's because i had to make the whole beginning of it up in my head nice so so i'm arriving <laughs> at a dalek a pretty solid dalek yeah. actually i think you know the the what's unlocked here about the toy maker um and maybe it is because of the way i experienced it i don't know i think maybe i would mm. have the worst time with the telesnaps but uh i was very intrigued and there you know basically i was into it and i really liked how 
it gave Dodo and Steven, uh, Peter Purvis and Jackie Lane, some breathing room, some time to shine and time, you know, a chance to sort of show how they complement and contrast each other. So uh, solid Dalek for me. Indeed. Well, well, to to contrast, if not complement each other, um, <laughs> I'm I'm definitely I, I mean, I got to say it. This is this is a classic Professor Hater. It's got all the signs mm. of Professor Haterdom, which is. You know, uh, I didn't have a great experience, but I definitely learned that you don't just sort of take the doctor out of a story by making him invisible and mute. Uh, this is definitely a big learning from this. Uh, I learned a lot about, uh, you know, uh, slurs that I didn't know were so, like <laughs> celestial. I learned about that. I, you know, I definitely learned that, you know, you got to, got to make the bait gate. Make games have a bit more interest, even if it is, you know, uh, more more sort of uh, a four children kind of episode. Um, you know, it took me back to the adventure game, which I, I loved as a great contrast to what they were doing here. Um, so yeah, Professor Hater, but it's he, he's a happy, twinkly Professor Hater. Oh. He's he's got lovers in in his eyes for the Celestial Toymaker, and he thought it was done wrong on screen once, but Professor Hater cannot wait to meet the Toymaker again. All right. Good times. I uh, I hope he brings a Dalek with him. Um, so there we are. Split decision. Hater versus Dalek. <laughs> so that's it. We're going to have to let this universe of our commentary on the Celestial Toymaker collapse. As Wait, we what? We, in our TARDIS. we don't have one final game where a Dalek has to play a Professor Hater on a, <laughs> on a no, checkers just board. Him. Just blast him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Professor um, Hater, we know this from Time Flight. Professor Hater cannot be killed. Daleks <laughs> do not play games. <laughs> That's why there's no Daleks in his world. They're just such terrible sports. They just they blast really everyone are. the second you put them on the <laughs> chessboard. Like, okay. Yeah, Daleks never getting invited back to the Toymaker's realm. <laughs> <laughs> okay right. time to go time. we're getting back in the TARDIS activating the randomizer to see where we are going next our randomizer of course newly upgraded our newly upgraded randomizer yes so the codex uh, is upgraded and Pete can you tell the, the good people at home how you've upgraded it yeah so the pull to open codex is the first part of the randomizer and it is the information the fuel for our random journey, it is a spreadsheet of every single televised episode of Doctor Who, all 302 of them. Now, previously, we would spin a number of between one and 302, hmm. and we would just go where it goes. The problem is we've done a lot of these podcasts so far, guys, and because of that, the numbers are sometimes doubled up. So whenever we yeah. get a number twice... Uh, for the second time, we, the episode is time locked. We're not going to do it yeah. again. So we bounce off and we spin again. Now we have a special number in addition to the story number. It is the randomizer number, which skips wow. rows. It skips the rows Fantastic. we've already done. We uh, actually now know how far through our journey we are. Yeah. So when we spin this, um, we're going to be only going between the number one and 234. Wow. What? That's right. We've done, we've, we've done 70, like 68, 68, uh, <laughs> 68 <laughs> episodes of 302. Not bad. 
for three seasons. 68 stories. Wow. I, I felt sure we were still under 50, but man, we're, we're approaching the one third of the way through pull to open. Yeah. We're nothing if not prolific. So <laughs> the randomizer, um, of course, consists of two parts, not just the codex. Mm. The codex is tied into a little something we like to call the executor. Yes, the executor played by random.org, which uses atmospheric noise rather than algorithms, because algorithms, as good as they are for playing the Trilogic game, and as good as they are on spreadsheets for figuring out which numbers in a spreadsheet you've already visited, algorithms are not good at randomness. Uh, the, the Celestial Toymaker would laugh at the idea of using an algorithm to generate a random number. He would instead say, go to random.org and pick random atoms bouncing around and turn that into true randomness. How much randomness, you say? Well, as Pete said, the number between 1 and 234, which is very exciting. I've only, this is my first time plugging it in under the new rules. Okay. Uh, but before I hit this generate button, we both have challenges that we like to give the randomizer. Uh, Pete, what you got this week? Oh, man. Ice Warriors. More Brian Hales. Let's do it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Just to say any story that features the Ice Warriors. So I'll take Cold any. War, even though it's not Brian Hales. Right. Or, um, what was the other one? Empress of Mars? We didn't do that one, did we? No, we, we didn't. We almost no, did. We did Eaters of no. Light. Yes, we did yeah. Eaters of Light. It was, right it was very close. It. It's very close. Now, uh, will you also accept an episode that has like an ice warrior in the background somewhere? Because I think there are a few of those. <laughs> I will. Um, yes. yes. Okay, good. 100%. Good. Okay. I am going to actually repeat a request from the randomizer because I'm still concerned about the lack of Tom Baker representation mm. in this show. Uh, right. Baker is my doctor, so I feel like I I must be the Baker speaker. The speaker for the... <laughs> Speaker for the Baker, and uh, point out that large, large gap uh, in the stories that we've covered, or those large gaps between Baker stories. There's so many to do. Uh, don't don't leave it all bunched up till the end. All right. Yeah. We're all concerned about representation of our doctors. I'm glad uh, <laughs> we don't have Paul McGann's agent calling us every week. <laughs> Why are you still not doing the TV movie? <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe it'll happen this year. This maybe week. it will happen. So if That's you have good. got the number plugged in, again, it's two hundred thirty-four yeah. this week. Yep. Uh it's so exciting. So let's let's give a countdown. It's happening in four, three, two, one. Ninety-three. We're still in old who the randomizer number corresponds to Black Orchid. Ooh. Yeah. Wow, really? The last of the true historicals from the Indeed. classic series. Wow, the randomizer loves historicals. Yeah. It really does. It's, you know, taking us practically from the uh from the gunfighters all the way to the Black Orchid. Loves Fantastic. Davison. It's a Davison, loves it's Davison. a shorter Davison. It's his first two parter. It uh it loves uh Adric and Tegan and Nissa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We know that. True. Wow. Our, third, our, our second one with that complete crew. Yeah. And definitely love Steven and Nissa because we've done a bunch of those. And I remember this from when it screened. It's a two-parter. Yep. Yep. It is a simple two-parter. It's basically it's a, a new Who episode. It's a light snack with five mm -hmm. in his original crew. So yes. this is going to be great. 
I really enjoyed this at the time, so I'm looking forward to watching it again. And there is cricket in it. Um, and I am looking forward to discussing it with you on our next episode, which everyone should, of course, tune into because this is a podcast, but you don't tune them into. You download. Don't, you should download it because this is a podcast uh, and you will be well informed on when to do that by subscribing. So if you haven't done that, please hit the subscribe button in whatever app you are on, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, overcast all the other no undercast no on cast whatever cast you have between cast cast of thousands the plaster cast whatever you got that you're casting you make sure you subscribe also go ahead and uh, follow us on youtube and subscribe there too we're at youtube.com slash pull to open all the socials of course uh be one of our next 10,000 TikTok followers now that we've hit 10,000 at pull to open on TikTok pull to open 63 on Twitter and pull to open 63 as well on Instagram we will see you on earth in 1925 looking forward to it take care folks